making sure the talent coming through is the best it can be. Nothing less than the future of Welsh Rugby in this week's Welsh Rugby Union podcast. Is Welsh Rugby making the most of the talent coming through? How to develop those players to compete on the world stage? There have been some changes to try and ensure just that. A process started by Nigel Walker as performance director and now he's moved up to acting CEO, being carried on by acting performance director Hugh Bevan. Plenty to talk to him about. And he started by discussing the future of the women's game with Rob Cole. The interesting point about the women's game is it's come out of nowhere, so to speak, very quickly and keeps on evolving. Mm-hmm. Is there going to be a ceiling in terms of what you're going to achieve because of the money constraints? Or are we going to see it racing ahead? The money is a concern because obviously currently it doesn't generate any significant income to cover the cost. Longer term, I think that's an aspiration. that We would like that. We would obviously envisage that the women's game is going to go from strength to strength. It's going to attract more sponsorship, it's going to attract more increasing gates and so on and eventually we will it will generate some income but in the meantime i think we do need to continue to support it and we've done a great job at the top end of the game yeah. in terms of contracting players and we've looked at providing some more contracts leading forward into the wxv to enable them to be even more competitive your one and the staff have done a brilliant job with that group of players underneath that we need to build a pathway to yeah. make that sustainable because currently there's not a sufficient player pool or, or, no. or strength in depth in order to be successful over a period of time. So I, I can expand that if you like. We're looking to, this last couple of weeks, looking at the women and girls strategy group from across the whole WIU from different departments. And so looking at a performance plan from a performance perspective, take us through the 2029 World Cup and how we can achieve our performance objectives, potentially semi-finals in the World Cup at that stage. And we're looking to do that in time for the, there's a new board member who's going to have responsibility yeah. for the women and girls game. So when she comes in, we can present her with, this is the current situation. We've done an audit of everything across community, performance, commercial, and so on. But this is what it looks like. And then we can build a longer term strategy for us going forward. I think that's going to be crucial, is having that strategy in place and the associated costs and the implications for that, for the game going forward. What do we need to do to make us successful for the World Cup of 2029 and beyond, and what's that going to cost? So we know what you've done at the top end, you know, mm-hmm. the numbers and the more competitive nature and a, a proper coaching group behind it. So yeah. at the, the top end, that's probably the easier bit. Yeah. <coughs> what are the numbers like down below, and how do you overcome this 13 age when girls stop playing mini rugby, yeah. and that there's three here, there's five there, there's two here, there's one here, and that so few schools offer rugby in school? So working, working from the top down rather than the bottom right, yeah. The most exciting thing these uh, player development centres. So we're focusing on girls from 17 to 24. For me, it's uh, exciting they've been placed in the two big universities that may, may be increase, have an opportunity to increase their playing population yeah. just by being in those environments. But also we've, we've got a lot of girls coming from the north as well. Yeah. So those three player development centres is going to give the girls an opportunity to develop their skills and equally, if not more important, their uh, physical abilities. There's been a high incidence across women's sports of injuries that occur. And by improving those physical capabilities, we can offset some of those injuries. So that's going to be a big part of that programme. 
So we've got those three uh, player development centres and the ambition is to roll those out into other regions as well so that by 2026, no girl who is involved in that with high potential player, sorry, is more than 60 minutes away from a player development centre, somewhere where she can access high quality skills coaching, high quality physical development. Then alongside that, you've got this Celtic Challenge. So last year there was a pilot year with one team. Next year the ambition is to expand that. And we've already done a review, we're looking to expand that with a two-team competition. So two teams from Ireland, Scotland and Wales competing to trying to bridge that gap between club rugby in Wales and the international stage, which is quite a big gap. And then underpinning that, we also need to be better at identifying developing girls with talent and whether that's from the rugby environment or looking at talent transfer opportunities where we identify girls with specific attributes in other sports that we'd like to bring in. And then there's another pilot scheme going on with I think it's six schools, six schools and colleges to develop competitive league that underpins all of that. And then another piece of work is the actual community league system. There's been a bit of effort there and there's lots of girls who seem to want to play but then they're not sure where they want to go or if they've got to travel across Cardiff or across Swansea or wherever. It's not as easy as it might be. But then the numbers don't quite stack up down the bottom just yet, do they? Not yet. But I think think what the success of the top end will do, it gives us a shot window, gives us role models, and we've got to create the pathway for girls coming and playing under 13s to say, okay, I can see my way from here to playing professional rugby Mm. for my country. We do need to bridge the gap between the, the community game and the and development pathway we're creating, but that, I think that's sort of part of the long-term strategy. Out of necessity, the union turned their mind to the uh, the women's game and the 40 recommendations, 36 I think of which Nigel, virtually instantly brought into play. That's all been done, but how high is it on your agenda, stroke Nigel's agenda now? It's, it's equally as high as it's ever been, yes. if not higher. What we've achieved in a relatively short period of time should be celebrated. <coughs> But I think we can't be sitting on our own. But there's a long haul. We're in it for the long haul. The women's game is just shining light across across world rugby, actually, at the moment. One area that's got the the biggest area of growth, if you look at the success of the the England team, the numbers of people they're attracting into the game, uh, as spectators, I mean, I think we should and need to continue to invest as much as we can into the, to support the success yeah. of our women's programme. How much is World Rugby putting into the the Celtic Challenge? They will be supporting it significantly. Yeah. A lot of the funding... Because so, that's the one well, thing. We, is everyone's we saying, well, where's all the money coming from? But there is some seed there is from there. There is, yeah. That has been supplemented by World Rugby. Yeah. But we will need to create some commercial opportunities in yes. there to raise some additional funds to support that because we want to run those two teams yeah. as professionals. Yes, you know, um, looking at the, the men's game, obviously yes. um, it's well documented there's going to be cuts at regional level and they'll have smaller squads they can't buy in, as many overseas players and whatnot. And Nigel Walker said many times that there's going to be changes to the pathway to get higher quality players, more players. Can you tell us those changes today? Yeah. The first thing is that I think there's been a recognition by everybody within the game that if you're going to be successful, long term, we're going to have to sort of look at the way we operate. I think we're going to have to be more collaborative across the board if we're going to be successful. As you said, one of those areas is the is the pathway. A lot of work has actually gone into that, and it's not recent. This has been going over the last 18, 18 months, months, two, 18 months, months yeah. two years, where there's been a complete review 
of our pathway system and not just looking at the academies in the top end, but looking at a system that's built up over a 10-year period. So from an entry point at 14 through to the professional game exit point at 23, 24, so that's our 10-year period. Yeah. And looking at, okay, what are we doing in those periods of time that's going to enable us to be successful? So this isn't a short-term fix. This is a no, sort of, of a long-term yeah. solution to a problem. And, and it's going to take a while. There's not going to be an immediate fix mm. to this. I'm, I'm putting sort of sticky plasters over the issues we've mm. got currently. That review has looked at what we do at 14 to 16 in what, what we call the talent discovery phase. And that's going to be development focus. There's going to be a competitive development to it. But it's not going to be driven by competition, it's going to be driven by developing those players and as many of those players as you can, not narrowing that talent pool right at the outset. From that, they're going to feed into um, 16 to 18, which is the talent development phase, where they start feeding into the junior academy system, supported by the regions, but also a lot of them will be engaged in this schools and colleges league which has been revamped. And the purpose of that Schools and Colleges League is really, really important to me. We need to ensure in that time we get it right, that we get the right balance between players' rugby development and their academic achievement. We want to have an imbalance between those two things. I think both are very important. And then from that 18 to 23, 24 period, that's where a senior academy, or they would, you would expect them to be in a senior academy, and they're getting a full service from the regions, and we're looking to sort of create opportunities enable them to be competitive at regional and international level. A lot of players are sort of discarded at an early age and there's a lot of people who could be late developers lost to the game. Is that something that you... 100%, sort of... sorry, I know it's a point that, that's a point I've written down before you came yeah. in actually, is that as well as looking to sort of create more, I think the strap run is more and better players, it's very important that we retain more players within yeah. the community game as well. So we develop them. There's entry points into the performance system, but there's exit points out of the performance system. When At those exit points, we support, encourage, and hopefully, because of the positive experiences they've been provided with through the development yeah. period, they're retained in the community game. A number that surprised me the other day, we have the highest number of registered players at 13 and 14 we've ever had since records began 10 years ago. When they come into this, pathway system. That's something we need, we need to look at. I'm working from the top down. Obviously, we've uh, not pointing fingers at the programmes, but we need to make sure that we are all delivering a high-quality product. Yeah. So with the academies, we're looking at uh, having an academy licence that's been driven through by the Professional Rugby Agreement. Yeah. Also, we need... So that'll cover, sorry, um, staffing, it'll cover the quality of the programmes, it'll cover time requirements, it'll yeah. cover the support they get coaching, etc, etc, etc. And then we also need to review what we are delivering at age grade and making sure that what we are delivering yeah. is up to scratch as well. And if there's areas of improvement there, then we need to lead the way in demonstrating that that's where it is. The same principle is being applied to the schools and colleges league, where we are looking to have people deliver certain things at a certain quality mm-hmm. and be accountable for the quality of the yeah. programme they deliver. What's the, the biggest difference between now and what you were doing before? A certain amount of money will be committed to player contracts, a senior academy, and then there's a certain amount of money that needs to be committed to providing the services, staffing, to support the high-quality programme that they can be expected to deliver. In my approach would be more be a collaborative, working together, we need to do this better, how can we support 
But ultimately, there's an expectation that with the funds there, that the regions are... And to be fair, it comes through the professional, professional yeah. rugby agreement. We need to be better at maximising the resource and the potential we have available. So yeah. we need to provide a better service than, we, than we've been providing previously. One big top that's been a talk in probably the last 20 years, more or less, is the, the Welsh Premiership. Yeah. If you speak to coaches that have coached at professional level and that level, they all say, and some players, or privately, that the gap does need to be bridged. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had reports that there might be an elite, or whatever it's called, A-team league. Well, what, what are the plans for that? So we do need, in my opinion, mm-hmm. we, uh, I think it's shared by quite a few people, a vehicle to develop our highest potential rugby players to bridge that gap between academy and uh, the regional and international game. Yeah. So there's been an enormous, enormous amount of work being done with regards to that. Again, it's another collaborative project between the WIU performance department, the WIU community department have played a massive role in it, the regions, the premiership clubs themselves and the community game. Without trying to mock us on it, we are pretty close. It's not over the line yet, but we're pretty close to achieving something that will deliver what our primary purpose is and that's something where our high potential players get the opportunities to compete regularly an intensity that's going to prepare them for the next step. So this would be like a competition in between URC? That's what we're looking to try and achieve, between the top end of the community game and the URC. Obviously, there's the concern, especially in a World Cup year, it's worse, you know, when the budget's again slashed. And I understand why that's happening. But if one team has an injury crisis, you could be throwing in, I don't know, an academy player into a game against Leinster and Dublin, and that perhaps might not even help the development that could keep holding back. I mean... What would you say to people who have those sort of concerns? I would say that we have to trust the people who are involved to mm-hmm. make the right decisions for the individual involved. And some players are ready to be involved in competitions of that intensity, mm-hmm. and some people are not. I think we have to take that each individual case on its merits. Yeah, you know the, the Nigel Walk has, has also alluded to like um, some form of um, it was vague about it, but like a loan system between the regions. What, what you know? Can you expand on that? I, I, that hasn't been um, further investigated, but I, I, I wouldn't be averse to that. We would mm-hmm. have to discuss that with yeah. the region. And the regions, obviously, would have to agree. In some circumstances, that would probably probably be a sensible thing to do. Yeah, and if 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 yeah. players were available, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I think that, that would be an example of a more collaborative approach that perhaps might be beneficial for everybody. And for, to do that. You know, for the, the regions themselves. I mean, obviously. What one of their main objectives is obviously to produce players for Wales, but you know they they obviously want to be successful in their own right. That's yeah. not all on the union; that's on them as well, of course. But yeah. can they be that? Can they produce players for Wales and regularly reach knockout stage of Champions Cup as it is these days? Can we get to that level, or is that they're not quite achievable given the finances? I think in order to be competitive at the final mm. stages of of all the competitions, yeah. whether it's URC or European, you have to have players who are capable of playing international rugby. So I think the two things go hand in hand. The development programme needs to be at a standard where we're producing high quality individuals that enable the Wales and the regions to be more successful. But just have to go down to make them sustainable so they yes. don't go pop like a couple yes. of clubs in, in England. Yes. And the long term, this investment in the academy system is to get them to that level to make it more four, sus- five, six exa- years. Exactly time. that. What I can't stress enough is yeah. that this isn't going to be a, a really yeah. quick fix. This is going to take time. We're going to have to work at it. First thing we need to be is 
of sustainable regional teams yeah. in order to be successful. Then we have to look at uh, our underpinning pathways, which we have done, and make sure that we are operating at a level that actually delivers the, what we need in terms of the quality of players that's coming up the other end. Mm. And revisiting the, this is, is a good idea, even though some people are going to go kicking and screaming into it. But the union has to do what's best for the, for the game in Wales. They have to trust you. And sometimes that's not the easiest thing to do. There's tradition and there's lots of things. Previously, there wasn't so much competition for young men in particular. Um, no, there's lots of distractions, lots more distractions. There was before, there was a, you either played rugby or maybe football or whatever, but, but there wasn't so many other things yeah. you could potentially do. So, as you said, the key thing is making sure the services we, d- we deliver at every step of our pathway are geared towards providing as many high-quality players at the top end as we can. And we have to be organised in terms of how we go about that process. What's your thoughts on just the, the state of the senior team and the succession planning and all that moving forward? Obviously, Warren's had a, a tough job because it's, it's always hard trying to turn things around in a short period of time, but... Over the next three or four years, do you think we have got the required level of player and strength and depth to, to, to achieve what we did the last time Warren was here? Is that asking too much? I think Warren's track record in World yeah. Cup speaks for itself. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know, he's been, uh, over the period of time he was here previously, he was exceptional in terms of what he achieved with the group of players he had. You could argue there was an exceptional group of players he had as yeah. well, but, but there's no doubt that Warren is... Uh, an exceptionally talented coach. Yeah. I, don't, I, think, I think his record will go up against anybody. I think he's also got a really good track record of uh, giving young, a young players opportunities if he recognises they have that ability. I think you've seen it with uh, people like Mason Grady, for example, these sort of players coming through. So I think we have some young players there who, for 2027, are going to be mature, experienced international players going into World Cup. I think... When you go into World Cup, you don't want to be going in there with too many youngsters at the same time. I think you need to go in there with uh, players who've had exposure at, at senior level and, uh, and experience. That's where our pathway is critically important in terms of how we're going to perform in those World Cups. If you look at the way France have built on the success of their 20s programme, for example, that's where the basis of their competitive uh, international games come yeah. from because they've invested in a systematic process to develop players from a young age through their age group programs. Mm. And we need to make sure that our system is as equal to that, if not better. If you start at Dewar Shield then, is that going to move now to 16 for next year? I think that that is very likely to happen. I think it just fits with that, that development model. Yeah. So they get 22 months of development with that competition yeah. towards the end of that development period. The A-licensed schools, that's going to yeah. go to two divisions, is it? Yeah, two divisions, two tiers. Then we go to the new license for the academies. Yeah. And then you've got greater or tighter links, closer links with the university establishments. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the new eight or ten or whatever it might be. Yeah. So, I mean, they're exciting steps, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And that, I think, is going to change the complexion of the pathway. I personally think they're really big steps forward and positive steps. Mm. They're going to have a real, real impact on our performances long term. Some people might not necessarily agree, but we that's been the challenge is convincing everybody, getting this development plan in place, this ten year plan in place, mm-hmm. and making sure that what we're delivering is, is gonna make us successful, sustainable, long term. Mm-hmm.
interesting stuff and hopefully with some serious long-term impact. That's it from this week's Welsh Rugby Union podcast. More to come next week, of course, but until then, goodbye. Goodbye.